All right, again, thanks for being here, everybody. Uh, just really appreciate the worship team and all they do, just kind of creating that type of a moment. And I know we've got volunteers all over the building doing great things. And I want to thank Joe. Joe owned the last couple Sundays. If you guys weren't here, I know last Sunday, uh, especially for those of you who watch on YouTube Live, we had some issues with the audio there. Uh, we do have it loaded on the, on the website, so if you want to go back and listen to that, great job. Appreciate Joe. Um, he's the best kind of youth, youth pastor because he can handle Scripture, and sometimes he has food in his beard. It's like, a, it's like this amazing balance that he's found when it comes to a youth guy. So he does a, does a great job. Appreciate him. Uh, it was good to be uh, have a chance to kind of get out to a couple different churches over the last couple weeks. We were here. We were in town. Uh, but two Sundays ago, had a chance to speak down at Monroe City Church. Those of you guys who have been around know that we've got a good relationship with them. They launched just this past fall. But they've been here speaking and leading worship for us over the last couple years, and so just uh, have a great relationship with them. And then last Sunday, uh, didn't speak, but we got to go and visit a church in Detroit called Motor City Church. I mean, it's just down the road from Campus Martius, if you're familiar with kind of the downtown area. Just a really, uh, really awesome church that got started about a year and a half ago. I'm going to talk about them a little bit more later, but uh, yeah, just uh, first few years of life here at Fieldstone really felt like needed to avoid some of those un, um, kind of unscheduled be gone and speak somewhere else type of Sundays. But um, as we've kind of solidified our foundation a little bit, I just have felt more compelled to be out. And in some ways, even just encourage other churches that are maybe a step or two behind us in, in the life cycle. Um, so it was good to be able to do that. So today's a little bit different. Um, we finished up our terminal series uh, in the book of John a few weeks ago coming up on Palm Sunday and Easter, and so we'll get into that season in a couple weeks. And, um, but I want to hit you with a couple things today that I slash we have been stewing on for a couple years now, uh, a couple things we've been dreaming of, push pause a little bit during the COVID season, want to bring those back up. And so I, I want to be honest, if you're visiting today, if this is your first time at Fieldstone, um, a little bit different, going to give you a peek behind the curtain today, not a typical sermon necessarily. Um, but I hope it can be an encouragement to you and kind of just give you an idea of who we are, um, what, what the guts of Fieldstone look a little bit like today, and, and kind of the end of the service going to nerd out on church stuff a little bit. So if that's not you, and if we hit 12 o'clock, you need to get out of here, just go. Uh, but just going to kind of do a little bit of that this morning. So Nehemiah is, is kind of where I want to hit scripture today. Um, if you don't know the story of Nehemiah uh, and, and kind of his leadership journey, the Jewish people at this point in, in Scripture are in exile to the Persian Empire. There are survivors, kind of the best of the best, because these nations would come in. That happened a couple times to the Jewish people. They would come in and conquer all kinds of loss, all kinds of destruction, all kinds of death. But what they would often do is take the brightest and the best away with them back to the, the home nation and keep them in exile and allow them to serve that nation. And so Nehemiah is one of those guys in that situation. He's serving King Artaxerxes, and history is a little bit unclear, but it's actually a really fun thing to dig into if you get some time this, uh, this afternoon. Um, this might be the same king who is the weird dude in 300. Some of you guys, you like that blood and guts uh, guy movie type stuff, that strange king there that, that came up against Leonidas. That might have been this Artaxerxes, and even uh, maybe even more cool, the queen that comes up in this passage very well might be Queen Esther from the book of Esther. And you, you kind of know all the things that she went through. Kind of sheds a little bit of a different light on some of those stories. But uh, Nehemiah's job is he's cupbearer. 
Now, cupbearer, kind of an interesting job. It's a risky job because he was the last one to eat the food or taste the wine before it would end up in front of the king. And so if anybody's trying to get to the king in that way, Nehemiah is in trouble. So it's a risky job, but also an important job. So it, beyond just tasting the food, he was kind of the MC of the activities for the king. So he, was, he would entertain the guests, make sure that the people visiting were having a good time, basically taking care of all those who would have an audience with the king. So along with uh, being dangerous, uh, it's very important. And because of that, he has some legit influence with the king, even as someone who's a foreigner, even as someone who's an exile in their nation. And so that's kind of what we step into here in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 2. So this is Nehemiah writing. He says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then verse 11 is kind of the end of that prayer. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable toward me. Put it in, into his heart to be kind to me. So Nehemiah knows the situation. He knows the history, how they ended up in this place and in this situation. But now he's hearing firsthand what was happening to the city, what had happened to the walls, finding out and weeping over the status of God's glorious city, Jerusalem, over the status of his heritage. And he's just completely brokenhearted over it. Let's continue on into chapter 2. Early the following spring, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, Well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. So Nehemiah has an opportunity here. Because of his proximity, because of his influence with the king, the king said, Hey, what, what's going on? What can I do for you? How can we help this situation? And he responds honestly, and God shows him favor. Now, Nehemiah doesn't have all the answers here. Remember, he hasn't been back to Jerusalem yet. He doesn't know the complexity of the situation and the scope of what they would have to accomplish. But what he's trying to do is simply take small steps of obedience, small steps towards doing something about it. We'll pick up in verse 11. <clears throat> he's gone to Jerusalem. He says, I arrived in Jerusalem, three, and three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. Jump down to verse 16. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king 
They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. So he has a chance to examine things with his own eyes, and he shares the plan with those who needed to know at that time, and there's agreement. Let's start moving. Now, an important thing to keep in mind, we are not the Israelites. I am not Nehemiah. I am not a prophet. And yet, even though we are not the Israelites in exile, we are here for a reason. We, as individuals, we as families, we as part of the universal body of Christ, part of this local expression of the body of Christ. And we are driven, if you don't know, we're driven by the mission to see family trees transformed by the gospel. And, and the picture of that is, yes, heaven celebrates, we celebrate when one person meets Jesus, but out of that person comes a spouse and kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And all of a sudden, because that one person found Jesus, an entire family tree is transformed. That's what drives us. That's what gets us excited. And as a part of that, there are things that we do, right? There are the, the core ministries that happen here on a Sunday morning and throughout the week. And there are projects we jump into, people that we support, ministries that we support, things like that. And it's interesting in this Nehemiah story, it's kind of a, a, a spiritual leadership principle that kind of comes through, is what we find out with Nehemiah is that a, a new vision, a new calling to pursue, a new battle to fight starts with a broken heart. Comes with that individual, that someone being exposed to a need, exposed to an issue in the world, and being made aware of it. The reality of the situation becomes clear and they're moved by it. And that broken heart then leads to a desire for God to do something about it. Like, God, don't you see what's happening? When are you going to move? What are we going to do about this? How, surely, as we sang in the song, God's Break my heart for what breaks yours. God, this has to break your heart. When are you going to move? And so our broken heart leads to that desire, and then out of that comes a simple request. God, whenever you choose to move on this, will you let me help? God, whenever you choose to step in on this situation, will you let us help? And so that's kind of how it started. It started with Nehemiah and began to trickle down from there. And then take the, the principles of what Nehemiah is experiencing and then add in just common leadership principles and phrases like speed of the leader, speed of the team, right? Leadership is influence, those types of things. And so when those all merge together, we find out that just in the nature of being a part of a church like this is my heart and the things that break my heart have a lot of influence over what we do as a church, what we have done, what we're doing, what we will do. And it's not just me. There are people who have my ear and, and make sure things come my way. And I hear from you guys questions and concerns and things that your families are dealing with, things that you're seeing in your workplace and out in the world and fears and, and wonders and questions that you guys all kind of filters through this and it, and it has that impact. And so uh, when it comes to that, when it comes to Nehemiah's situation and just the context of a local church like this, the question becomes, well, what breaks my heart? What has my heart? And I want to give you two things that have, like I told you at the beginning, we, we've been stewing over for a couple years and, and COVID kind of forced us to push pause on some of the dreaming process um, but two things that uh, for me as your pastor and really have kind of become things for our church that are things that break our heart and things that we want to see God do something about. And the first thing is, it's a heart for the local church, specifically churches in areas that need a church. You see, God has chosen the church as his instrument to take the gospel to the world. In Ephesians 3, Paul is writing about it. And he says in verse 10, God's purpose in all this, and he's referring back to the few verses prior where he's talking about God's grace and God's power and the good news of the gospel. He's talking about the endless treasures available in Christ and 
all these things, all that, the, the good news, the gospel, what God came to do in Jesus. He says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So it even goes beyond humanity. Like the church is charged with taking the truth and the message even beyond the physical into the spiritual realm. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. All the things that God accomplished through Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecies, the gift of salvation, the hope that we have in him, he set up the church to be the conduit through which that message is passed on. And so we have a heart for the church, specifically areas that need a gospel-centered, life-giving church. Now, you might be sitting there, and maybe you've done the Google Maps thing where you search a church in a certain area, and you're like, well, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. So you might be thinking, certainly there's plenty of those types of churches around, but there's an interesting thing happening in our country. Um, and this is an article from May 2021, um, this is from religionnews.com, but similar, the same study is published in Christianity Today, and this is just kind of the one I landed on. So listen to what this says about the status of, of churches. It says, A new study suggests more Protestant churches closed in 2019 than opened, continuing a decades-long congregational slide that is only expected to accelerate. The study, which analyzed church data from 34 Protestant denominations and groups, found that 4,500 churches closed in 2019, while about 3,000 new congregations were started. To quote from the director of the study, he says, Even before the pandemic, the pace of opening new congregations was not, enough, uh, was not even providing enough replacements for those that had closed their doors. Another study painted an even starker picture. That study, published in April of last year, estimated that in the decade ending in 2020, anywhere from 4,000 to 7,000 houses of worship closed per year in the United States. That's 75 to 150 congregations every week. It's projected those numbers will double or triple in the wake of the pandemic. The biggest reason for church closings is a decline in church membership. Add to that the increasing cost of maintaining aging buildings and paying for capital improvements and post-pandemic reluctance to return to in-person services, some congregations will continue to thrive, especially those that convert their space to mixed use or sell part of their land for housing. That's inspiring. Church planting is slowing, and the number of closures is growing, said Ed Stetzer. He's a pretty influential author in the church world. Yet, the opportunity is still before us. Another quote from pastor-author named Tim Keller he said, the vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for A, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city, and B, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. Nothing else will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. Guys, when it comes to having solid churches in every community, we are losing ground. We are losing the fight. And so dream number one this morning that I want to just communicate to you and let you know kind of where our hearts are going, dream number one is to help plant or rejuvenate churches and other communities that need them, specifically in Southeast Michigan. Now, when I say Southeast Michigan, I don't mean it the way Westsiders think. It. They think Southeast Michigan is like Flint down to Toledo. No, Southeast, I'm talking like, 
kind of where we're at down towards Toledo, over, over to the, you know, Monroe-ish, over to, to kind of that diamond region here of southeast Michigan, kind of specifically where our heart is aimed at. We want to help plant or rejuvenate churches and communities that need them. Here's the thing. We're not the biggest church. We're not the richest church. But a little bit goes a long way. And we've been honored to have just a small hand in, in encouraging our friends down in Monroe as they've gotten started this past year. And we've had a, a chance to kind of support and, and encourage other churches along the way. One of them is Motor City Church, where our family got to visit this past Sunday. Uh, we met them kind of through some mutual friends, um, and they reached out this past summer. They planted in the fall of 2020. Um, super fun church. They're down, like I said, down near Campus Marshes, and just the nature of that area. A lot of young professionals, very diverse group. Just the energy in that building was amazing. And yet, when you're reaching people who are young... Now, these are people, the, the types of jobs they have, give them 15, 20 years, they're going to be rolling, right? They're going to be just fine. But when you're 24, mm-mm, doesn't happen that quick, right? And so you've got young professionals trying to figure out how to pay rent, let alone give to a church. And many of them, most of them, are new to church world, right? Now, we... We've been blessed. We get folks at Fieldstone who visit, and they've been around church. They know the church deal. They're like, what are your beliefs? Uh, what's worship like? Do we like your pastor? Cool. Where's your giving envelopes? So like, we just have had people like that, and that's a blessing. Their church is people like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What do you mean you want me to give my money away? Right? So they're having these types of discipleship conversations. Now throw in summertime where attendance and giving just kind of notoriously dips a little bit. So Josh, their pastor, called me last summer I was like, hey, man, hate making these phone calls, but we're struggling. You know, church is doing great. Like, people are coming to know Christ. We're doing awesome, but we're just having, like, having trouble with the rent this month. Next month is questionable. We're late on last month, you know, and then we're trying to do all these other things as well. And was able to talk to our board, and we were able to cut them a check to cover those two and a half months or so to make sure that they were going to be okay, right? And they're doing fine. He, he's done a great job of kind of keeping that before their people and, and uh, helping them grow in that area. And they're doing great now, but just kind of uh, just a blessing that we're in a position where we have more than we need and could help them with that, right? Um, so I want to say a little bit more, but we were there last week and Josh wanted to send along a video just to thank all of you for being a part of uh, supporting them and helping them along. So check it out. Hey, Fieldstone Church, Josh Shockey here, right in the middle of downtown Detroit at Motor City Church. I wanna take just a moment to say thank you so much for your generosity. Maybe you didn't know, but anytime that you sow into Fieldstone Church financially, you are blessing so many other churches in the area, and we're just one of many. You know, Motor City Church, we're a brand new church right here in the heart of downtown Detroit. We officially launched Sunday, September 20th, of 2020. And since that time, we have seen over 140 people give their lives to Jesus. And those of you at Fieldstone Church, you have the opportunity to say, we're a part of that. So once again, thank you so much for all that you do, not only in your community, but all that you're doing in Detroit through your generosity. We love you guys and the best is yet to come.
I don't know why you guys were laughing, but I was thinking baptism looks so violent when it's fast-forwarded. Maybe we were on the same page with that one. Uh, But just another note, if you ever want to check them out, there is another Motor City Church in Troy. That's a different one. They they should have compared notes. Uh, This one's down, right downtown. Um, But as I said, it's an honor to be able to just kind of help in that way. And we, we would love to have a more active hand in more churches like that. Um, I, I personally don't see them being like satellite campuses. I know that some of you have come from uh, places where they have campuses. I, I don't have much interest in that. But are they independent? Maybe. Are they a partner church? Maybe. Are they one that we support for a couple years and then kick them out of the nest? Maybe. We have ideas. Certainly open to what God might do, but uh, definitely open to what the leaders are interested in doing that God sends our way for those types of things. So that's a huge dream for us. The second one is this. And um, just to warn you, we are going to go long. You got kids that are going to freak out in there, feel free to get them at noon or whatever. We're going to go a few minutes long. Um, second thing is in the world of kids and students, specifically the struggles that they experience in difficult situations. I know Jesus makes his feelings about the next generation very clear, uh, makes some pretty severe threats to those who would hinder their spiritual and physical health. Um, and most, if not all, of his disciples were teenagers at the time of, of the Gospels happening. So, but I don't know if you've noticed, I know some of you have, are kind of out of the season of being around young kids and teenagers, and maybe you don't interact as much, um, but I don't know if you've noticed, but um, kids are struggling, okay? They were struggling before COVID, they're struggling since COVID. Uh, another article I want to share with you, this is from the American Psychology Association from just uh, this January. It says, as the United States approaches two full years of the COVID pandemic, Mental illness and the demand for psychological services are at an all-time high, especially among children. While some children benefited from changes like remote learning, others are facing a mental health crisis. Prior to COVID, CDC found that 20% of children had a mental disorder, but only 20% of those children received care from a mental health provider. Whether kids are facing trauma because of child abuse or a loss of a family member or everyday anxiety, They need even more support now, all amid a more significant shortage of children's mental health resources. In a survey of 1,000 parents around the country, 71% of parents said the pandemic had taken a toll on their child's mental health, and 69% said the pandemic was the worst thing to ever happen to their child. A national survey of 3,300 high schoolers found close to a third of students felt unhappy and depressed much more than usual. Mental health crises are also on the rise. Emergency visits could be mitigated with more widespread outpatient care, but even before the pandemic, kids often had to wait months for appointments. Only 4,000 of the more than 1,000 U.S. clinical psychologists are child and adolescent clinicians. School psychologists are also in short supply, leaving kids without enough support at school. The National Association of School Psychologists recommends a ratio of one school psychologist per 500 students. Currently, the data estimates a ratio of one per 1,211 students. Now, the positive of this is that awareness of struggles and the willingness of individuals to see a counselor is rising. The negative is that the supply is falling way short of the demand. Just from personal conversations um, for kids, for teens, looking for mental health counselors, um, there's always a wait list. It's hard to find a counselor that specializes in kids and teens. 
Um, it's even harder to find a faith-based version of someone who specializes in kids and teens. And so our second dream is to start or be the catalyst for the start of a family counseling center that provides high-level but affordable faith-based counseling with a focus on kids and teens in southeast Michigan. Um, again, we are not the biggest church in the world, and we are not the richest church in the world, but a little bit goes a long way. As we've talked about this a little bit, we've felt like there, there are past seasons in church history where it was really important and churches were starting schools. Churches have started colleges. The entire Ivy League was started with the idea of being a faith-based college system. Churches have started daycares over the years. Churches have started nurseries. Churches have started hospitals. All still very important things, but we've almost started to wonder, are we entering a new season where churches need to step up and start gospel-centered, faith-based counseling centers um, for the families and for the kids that are just going through it, right? They're, talk to any teacher, talk to any administrator. Kids are struggling right now, and it's, gonna, it's only going to continue. Now, when it comes to a counseling center, when it comes to helping start churches, um, there will be more info as we learn. There will be more info as we figure things out, more info as conversations are had. Um, like Nehemiah, we're simply trying to take some small steps of obedience, right, and, and see how we can help um, as God steps in to, to meet some of these needs. And there's still lots of things going on around Fieldstone, our core ministries, but one of our values is to remain simple and balanced. So along with pursuing new battles means saying no to really good stuff, right? There might be really good opportunities that come across our doorstep where we say, man, that's amazing, but we just can't commit to help with that right now because we're chasing these things, right? We're, we're trying to help meet these needs and, and um, there, there's even things around here. Like, go back in the kids' area during the first service. You're going to be like, man, they need some more space, right? At some point, we're going to have to talk about that. At some point, we're going to have to talk about the parking lot. At some point, Brian's going to come and want some new toys and things for up here. And all that's great, but for the short term, we very, very well may have to say no to a lot of those really good things in pursuit of, of these things instead. Um, but what we know is that there are needs in our community and we certainly cannot meet every need for every person, but we can do our part. And we feel like these two areas are, are two that we really need to focus on um, going forward. Um, so that's that stuff. Now, I warned you that nerd, church nerd stuff was coming, right? Stuff that I really enjoy and read, read books about and listen to podcasts about. Um, but one of the natural questions that comes out of this, because we've said, hey, like, it, it, this all starts with a broken heart for a need in a community, right? And it, in many ways, starts with the broken heart of the pastor and what, what's on the pastor's heart. So the question becomes, who keeps my heart in check, right? Because we all have seen leaders, we've seen pastors take a deep dive and take the church down with them. So who, who makes sure that my heart is doing the talking and not, and, and not uh, you know, the fleshly side of, of the human pastor? Who helps, who prays, who's part of the checks and balances. And so just want to take the last few minutes together. Um, by the way, this is great. I started this part 10 minutes after church was supposed to end in the first service. So I'm doing fantastic right now uh, in doing this. Um, so I just want to take these few minutes to introduce Fieldstone leadership. Um, some of you, this will be review. Some of this will be new. And even uh, a couple parts of our current leadership are newer and so just wanted to make sure, because this is a huge part of the things that we do. These are the people who have been put in an official capacity to say, hey, Justin, you should not have said that. You should have said this instead. 
Hey, Justin, that sounds like a good idea. I know you might want a disc golf course on the church property, but are you sure it's not just because you're obsessed with disc golf right now? This might be a you thing. And not, so, so there are people who have those conversations. Uh, that was a real conversation, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, so there are checks and balances in place to make sure that my hobbies are not the passion of Fieldstone Church. Um, uh, by the way, we're having some large deer farmed in uh, to our property. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just want to let you know what this fall is going to look like. No, uh, so first one, sorry, I'm already late. It's so stupid. Um, pastors and staff, pastors and staff. Here at Fieldstone, the pastors and staff, we, we get to lead, right? We eat, sleep, breathe, bleed, cry this stuff. Um, and so some of you are coming, may have come from church traditions where the, the, the lay leadership, the volunteer board uh, makes final decisions we have accountability, but Joe and I as the pastors, um, Brian and Miriam as worship directors, Christy as our kids director, we get to make decisions, um, add things, cut things, adjust things, uh, stuff like that. So we get to lead. So I'm the lead pastor. I'm responsible for the direction of the church. I make the final call on the big stuff. I lead our, our little staff. I lead our boards. Um, I do most of the preaching. I do most of the shepherding. And so that, that's me as the lead pastor. And then Joe is our next-gen pastor that's just a really cool name in 2022 for associate pastor because Joe is ultimately, he leads our student stuff. Uh, he supports Christy when it comes to the kids stuff, but Joe is way more than that. Joe has a hand and a voice in every area of this church. Um, he's been through a lot of wars in ministry. He battles for our students. He battles for your families. Um, and with me, Joe has found a really good balance between being fiercely supportive and brutally honest. Um, like when, when it came to renovating this auditorium part of the building, I was starting to get cold feet because of the cost. Um, and I expressed that. I was like, Joe, I'm, I'm not sure that we should do this right now. And he said, yeah, that's because you're cheap. But, <laughs> but yeah, we need to do it. And so, uh, and that was a real conversation too. So I love Joe and he's, and he's great uh, at, at kind of finding that balance and, and being super supportive in that way. Um, and then, as I said, we have Brian and Miriam, who are worship directors uh, on staff uh, in a very part-time capacity, talented, anointed to, to lead us into worshipful moments like we had this morning. Um, I was a mess in the first service after that worship set. Um, and so they, they just do a fantastic job and just have all kinds of life experience and wisdom. And, and uh, really, we haven't given them the title pastor, but they do fill a pastoral role in, in many ways. Christy Onans is our kids director. Her husband, John, is super supportive of her back there. They love their kids. They, they fight for their family. They love your family, right? And they are doing what they can. They, being a kids director is not an easy job, right? There's a lot of opinions as to what it should look like and, and where, where we go with all these different things and what do we try. They do a fantastic job back there. So that's our, our pastor slash staff team. Um, and, that's, uh, and, and some of those people could fill other roles within the church, but that's where we like to keep some separation and some, some checks and balances. Another group is our deacon board. Um, again, some of you are from church traditions, and so deacon might mean different things in different places. For us, the deacon board is responsible for the practical and financial accountability of Fieldstone. Um, they approve and monitor the annual budget. That includes salaries and benefits. They provide direction and approval for changes or upgrades to the building and property, and they have input on our ministries and how much gets invested into each one and our missionaries. Who do we support? How much do we support them? Um, miscellaneous stuff. If we want to spend more than $1,000 that's not previously budgeted, we have to go back to them for approval of that. 
Um, we can't take out loans or sign legal documents without their approval. They have access to all the numbers, the bank accounts, along with our bookkeeper, Jacqueline Layden. Um, and, and so the, the give and take there is the, the theme you'll see in some of these, these groups is protection for me, protection for the church. So um, protection for me from this particular group is um, there's no real vote unless I put that vote on the agenda. But I don't have a vote. I can't do it without them. They have to vote affirmative on things before things can happen. And so if I were to run off and take out some $1 million loan for Fieldstone, it's not legal. It can't happen uh, unless I've had their vote of approval to do it. Um, the current board is Eric Lash. We've got some pictures that'll go up that'll kind of give you an idea. And um, We thought about bringing them all up, but it was like, well, we don't have three hours to introduce everybody, so we'll just we'll go pictures and, and you can kind of find your way around from there. Eric Lash, Kathy Powell is once she wanted a different family picture for hers, so whatever. Um, Blue Livingston and Lori Ashelman. That's our current deacon board. Um, their best qualities, they love Jesus and they're faithfully following him. They're fully committed to what's going on at Fieldstone and they've found a great balance where they trust the staff and they don't sweat the small stuff, but they push back and ask good questions. So that's, that's that board. Second group is a team of elders, and this is uh, something that we had always intended to have, but as we were getting started, this is a group you really got to know people to say, you're an elder in our church, right? You got to know their heart, their, their background, their story, that they're solid and they're committed and all that kind of stuff. So this is a team that just got started in the last six to eight months. Um, so our elders, they keep a third eye on the spiritual health of the church, help us balance that truth and grace uh, tension, make sure we're staying on mission, Make sure that the preaching is in line with what Scripture says. Um, and this group is available to the pastors and staff to lean on for wisdom, encouragement, and prayer. But they're also available for the church to lean on for wisdom and support and prayer. So these are individuals, by and large, we're already filling this role in my life, in the life uh, of, of my family and Joe and his family. And we simply said, hey, would you guys be willing to do this and be available for the church? And so when it comes to those things, we just have a great group um, this, now, this group, these people are involved in ministry in various places, but their role in this capacity is 0% task and 100% people. That's our elder team. So we've got some pics of our elder team uh, as they currently exist. Uh, Ron and Nancy Rohr, Gary and Linda Heath, Dan and Cindy McGovern. Is that Cindy clapping for herself back there? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Bill and Jacqueline Layden. Keep Bill in your prayers, by the way. Bill had a minor heart attack uh, in the last couple of days. He's doing fine. He's at St. Joe's, but uh, keep him in your prayers. Bill and Jacqueline Layden. Brent and Cindy Elliott. Corey and Kim Johnson. Harold and Connie Landry. And John and Rebecca Dubois. And the best qualities of these individuals is they are faithful in their walk with Jesus. They're faithful in fighting for their families. They're faithful to the word of God. And they're faithful in prayer for this church. They have been all those things in my life and they can be all those things in your life if, if the time comes that you need that type of support and wisdom and, and prayer. Um, we can point you in their direction. So that's our elders, the, the spiritual side. The third one is kind of a new one. Um, the word is not new. The word overseers is in scripture. Um, but the idea of how it plays out uh, was new to me. 
It was recommended uh, as we were going through our launch training a few years ago. Um, kind of comes out of the mega church world, although we're certainly not that. Um, but it's just kind of an extra layer of wisdom and accountability for the senior pastor. So the overseers are three pastors from outside Fieldstone uh, who provide kind of that extra covering. They're a source of wisdom and accountability for me. They stay in touch with Kathy and I to make sure our family is doing well. They stay current on how Fieldstone is doing. And this is a group, if necessary, they're ready to step in and help the church handle a problem with the lead pastor. So God forbid I, I end up in an unhealthy place and I'm saying things or doing things or leading things that are outside of what this church is supposed to be. These are individuals that our leaders within Fieldstone can leap to and say, hey, we've confronted them on this. We've talked about this. We're not getting a healthy response. We need you guys to step in because these are guys who can step in and discipline me, fire me if necessary. Um, and so as I said, mutual protection. So these are the individuals who have legal authority to remove me as pastor. That helps me because our boards here, the people here, cannot pull some coup and take over Fieldstone. It happens. It's crazy, right? Um, and, and so I'm protected there, but the church is protected from things like intimidation and blind loyalty because it's difficult to say, man, this person started this church. This is the only pastor we've known. This is the only pastor I've known. This person led me to Christ. This person has worked with my family. How can we, how can we take this person down? Right? How are we supposed to confront this person? This is going to kill Fieldstone, right? So that exists. That type of tension exists. And so instead of having to go through me, our leaders here can leapfrog me and talk to these three pastors and vice versa and make sure things are good. And if there's issues, they can, they can uh, deal with them as necessary. Um, so current overseers, uh, there's three of them. Bill Holbrook, who actually spoke here a few weeks ago. If you're around, Bill uh, did a great job. He's a longtime pastor, currently serves the organization called Sequel that we support as a church. Um, and Bill lives out in Troy, Michigan. Uh, Kevin Matthews, longtime student ministries pastor, current lead pastor at a church in Grand Rapids. And then Cliff Powell, that's my dad. 45 years of pastoring, currently at a church in Ortonville, Michigan. Um, and the best qualities of these individuals Long-time love for the local church, long-time service to the local church. They love my family, and each of them in different seasons have proven they're willing to tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And that's why they are in uh, this pivotal role. Um, now, there's a lot of information there. If you ever have questions, please ask. If there's ever confusion, please ask. If you ever want to see the budget, let me know. Right? I'm, if it's like your first day and you've been here five minutes, be like, hmm. Let's talk about that for a second. Why are you so interested? Um, but uh, open book to all, uh, uh, more than willing to show anybody the numbers. Um, but what I want you to know is that the common theme among all of these people, from staff all the way through overseers, we want you to know Jesus. Right? There's a lot going on out in the world. There's a lot of pressures, a lot of issues that we can talk about and deal with and go to Scripture for. But in the end, we all want to know that you know Jesus, that you know that you are a sinner that you are lost without him and that God sent Jesus to be a substitute for us, to take the punishment for us on the cross so that we can be forgiven and experience life on this planet the way it was designed and ultimately experience eternity the way God wants us to experience it. Um, so that's what it's all about. Um, that's all I've got. Um, thanks for letting me nerd out for a little bit and uh, I'll close this in prayer and we'll get out of here. God, thanks for... Uh, this place, thanks for these people. Thanks for uh, each person serving around the building throughout the week. God, thanks for a chance that we can gather corporately and just lift up your name and worship you and declare you as king. 
Um, go with us throughout the week. God, encourage us, inspire us. And as we put our hearts out there and, and try to seek your will as a church, um, respond to our steps of obedience and can continue to guide and direct and we'll celebrate you as you work. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.